0: Welcome back to another episode of Revealed Apologetics. I'm your host, Eli Ayala, and today we're doing something pretty unique. I think it's unique. I'm not sure. I don't know if there are other people who have done this, but uh, my two guests uh, tonight um, have been participating in a debate in which uh, the debate has been broken up on each of their respective YouTube channels. So uh, one portion of the debate is on one person's channel. Another portion of the debate is on another person's channel. And then today um, I will be hosting the um, uh, the kind of Q&A slash cross-examination slash audience participation portion of, of the debate here. And so if you want to watch the entire debate in you know, each portion of the debate, um, uh, my guests will kind of share with you what you need to do to do that. So I highly recommend. I did listen to uh, both portions uh, about a week ago um, and been pretty busy since then. So uh, hopefully uh, as they're interacting with some of the, the questions that we're going to be dealing with uh, t- tonight, um, we'll kind of inspire some more questions. But here's the thing. Um, in this uh, discussion tonight uh, between uh, Tyler Vela, and Dan uh, Chapa, I think it's Chapa, I don't know if it's Chapa, Chapa, he'll correct me once I invite him on. Um, I am going to encourage everyone who is uh, going to be watching tonight um, that you, if you send in your question and you preface your question with the word question, uh, we will not necessarily be waiting till the end. Usually I take the questions at the end. If you ask a question, we will take it the moment you ask it and the moment they're kind of done Uh, explaining maybe a point of contention that we've been going through. We'll ask your question right away. Okay, so um, I know that we just got started. And so as we move along, there'll be some more people kind of coming in watching. I'm going to periodically remind folks that if they have questions, uh, please send them in. This is the think in terms of you uh, listen to the debate in person. And now we are at that uh, portion of the debate where people can just ask any question they want. More specifically on the topic of the debate, which is libertarian free will. So, the context here is this is a a debate over libertarian free will. Um, And of course, that kind of comes with all of those other interesting side discussions related to Calvinism and uh, non Calvinist perspectives and things like that. So, um, please, 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 if you have a question, I hope you have a question. It's more interesting if you have a question. Please send your question in the comments and preface your question with question. All right. Well, without further ado, I'm going to invite uh, my first guest, uh, which is um, Tyler Vela. And perhaps Tyler can tell folks a little bit about himself. And then we'll introduce our next uh, next guest. So um, hello, Tyler. How are you? Who are you? And where can people view the other portions of this debate?
1: Yeah. Thanks for having me on. Uh, again, I appreciate, uh, coming back. Um, I am the host of the freed thinker. Uh, that's why I put it as the, the title instead of the full name, I guess I should do you where it's like the name and then the, and then the parentheses. Uh, so, um, uh, I, so, I host the Freedthinker Podcast, blog and YouTube channel. Um YouTube channel is mostly dedicated towards apologetics and dealing with unbelievers, although there are some interesting side topics that just video is better for. Um, and I put that on the channel. The podcast is usually dealing more um, with you know biblical theology, some in-house discussion, systematic theology considerations, uh, and the like. So for um, the my opening statement, um I, I'm actually the 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 negative position. Uh, I'm the, I'm the contra uh, position um, for my opening statement. And then Dan's cross-examination of me, it's on my, it's on my YouTube channel. Um, Reformed Presbyterian. Very excited. I'm very excited for this conversation. I, you you know, anyone, anyone who's seen Dan stuff knows that he's just, he's such a brilliant guy and such a fantastic, uh, such a fantastic thinker and and a great Christian brother. And so it's just, it's just, it, it makes these conversations so so enjoyable to have. So I, I'm I'm ex- I'm excited to, that you you're you're playing Switzerland for us uh on this and being kind of the neutral the neutral hey, ground as we I'm kind Puerto, of experiment with
0: this. I'm Puerto Rican, so Puerto yeah. Rico, we're we're neutral <laughs> too. We're neutral yeah. too. So
1: yeah, yeah. So thank you very much.
0: All right. Well, thank you for that, Tyler. And uh I want to now invite Dan Chapa. Is it Chapa or Chapa? Chapa, yeah, Chapa.
2: Chapa. Yeah, Dan right. Chapa. Yeah. excellent.
0: Okay. well, welcome, yeah. Dan, this is your first time on revealed apologetics. Why don't you tell folks a little bit about yourself?
2: Yeah, thanks for uh, having me on and uh, thanks to Tyler, of course, it's been really good discussion so far. I've enjoyed it and I'm looking forward to continuing it. I've been excited about this. So um, I'm Dan Chappa. Um, God saved me when I was very young. you know, I was about six years old and I grew up in a Baptist church, you know, and a Christian home and uh you know was doing a Awanas which is a very Baptist thing to do studying Bible verses as a kid and I just kind of kept going and going and going and kept studying God's word and I never really have uh have kicked the habit the Lord has always been drawing my heart to to him and to his word and uh so I think that's important for us as Christians to do um so I'm a Southern Baptist and my soteriology would be closer to Arminianism but I also hold to um You know, basically, some form of perseverance of the saints or eternal security or that sort of thing, as uh, Southern Baptists usually do. Um, And then um, I also am a Molinist, so I certainly hold to God's foreknowledge. I'm not an open theist, but I uh, um, hold to God's foreknowledge and God's middle knowledge where He knows what we would do under different circumstances. So Mm -hmm. um, I think that makes Tyler and I, you know, kind of close in a lot of areas, but one specific area we would disagree is this idea of libertarian free will or determinism and that sort of thing. So I think we're getting right at uh, one, of, one of the fine-tuned uh, differences um, uh, in our uh, theology, I suppose.
0: Mm. Well, the term Molinism can have kind of a wide application. You could have Molinists who lean more Calvinistically, and you could have Molinists that lean more Arminianistically? That's not a real word. I just made that up. Um, so sure. would you would you uh describe yourself, uh Dan, as a Molinist that leans more towards an Arminian
2: sort of yes. theological framework? Yeah, that's right. Yeah, I, I'm uh, probably a classical Arminian. So if you look at the tulip, I will hold to total depravity, um, but I'll disagree with the Uli in the middle, unconditional election, limited atonement, and irresistible grace. But I do agree with perseverance of the saints. So at the end of the day, I'd probably be a two-point Calvinist, which isn't a thing. <laughs> just enough to
0: be saved. You're good. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I'm just kidding. You drop one more pedal. I'm gonna start praying for you. I'm totally joking. Um, all right. Well, thank you for those brief introductions. I I said I said I was gonna take questions right away, and so I'm gonna I'm gonna stay true to my promise because if I start initiating my first question i'm going to forget what i said previously by taking uh, audience questions as soon as they post them so i'm actually going to start this discussion with an audience question so I hope you don't mind that uh, Tyler and Dan have agreed to kind of do this uh, pretty informally. And so hopefully this will not be the last question. Again, if you're just listening in now, we have a few more people watching. If you have a question, send it in and I will get it to these debaters right away and they can uh, discuss um, you know, their answers to those questions. So here's the first question uh, from Chris Harris. He says, for each, what is your view concerning the faculties involved in choice as in the intellect slash understanding and the will? Is there indifference? Does either faculty have priority? Dan, why don't you take a, a, a stab at that first, and then maybe uh, Tyler could chime in.
2: Sure. So older theologians will uh, slice this very um, sp- uh, split it kind of evenly between the will and the understanding. And I think there's a bit of a mistake because it's like, do you have a ununderstanding will, or do you have a you know, understanding without desire? So in essence, you've got the person. But if you if you do want to parse it in the two, you have reasons and desires. And i would say that both of these are necessary preconditions for a choice so if you don't want to do something at all it's probably outside of your nature to do it so you literally can't do something that you don't desire at all in any way shape or form so uh, and then if you don't have any reason to do it at all then you can't do that either so it's just outside of your nature but your nature itself works as kind of a perimeter fence and within that perimeter fence you can choose this or that option that sort of thing as far as indifference, again, that's an, a bit of an older term. Um, in what the older theologians meant by that term, you know, I'm talking about like around the time of the Reformation or that sort of thing, mm-hmm. I would ag- agree with it. Um, but I probably use more precise language these days and just say, you know, it's a matter of um, both sourcehood. Um, so sourcehood being that nothing preceding you determines what you do, and um, and then. The other condition is alternative possibilities. Sourcehood is primary and the main one, and but uh, alternative possibilities sometimes come into play. There there are times when we can choose between A and B, you know, and those are um, live options and that sort of thing um and as far as does either uh, faculty have priority um that's a tough one once again i I try to view it as the whole person but if i try to parse it between desire and reason the way i'd say it is this desire pushes you to act and reason slows things down and says hey wait let's think this over and the more you think about something the more you want it and so that's how you know these two interplay and so you can think of it as like reason as blocking action and desire as pushing it and then um reason uh desire ultimately pushes forward into action um so I, I guess that's probably the way I would describe it so um, right. I hope that makes I hope that makes sense
0: well thank you for that Dan uh, Tyler do you have any comments on that
2: um I, I mean a little bit I wouldn't
1: disagree with with much of what what Dan said um although some um i I, I tend to think it's better to, to look at people look at the 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 composition of a human and also in a little bit more of a holistic uh way as well and not so piecemeal that way but again uh, the, the way that I understand the will really is really is a faculty more so than say um, like desires uh, or intellect are, those are much more like a, uh, like, like propane or fuel in the tank, so to speak. Um, where, you know, if, if you think about, well, do, do, you know, I, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm the determinist in the group and I'm gonna say, well, I'm, you know, I'm determined to pick up this, this, you know, water, water bottle. Does that mean that I don't have the faculty to, to have like, not picked it up or, or 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 you know vice versa if i didn't pick it up does that mean my my arm my, my will literally just it, it wouldn't like if i wanted to pick it up suddenly I'd be like oh no like my arm isn't working like uh, no i mean we 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 have we have these faculties um but th- you know this is part of why i'm a compatibilist is that i you know faculties are w- without without the enlivening and the and the gas and the tank so to speak of uh, of desires of reasons responsiveness of all those types of things i mean faculties are just kind of a husk it's just fac- faculty is just kind of the, the 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 route by which the self chooses it's mm. not uh you know it's not um it's not a thing in itself, if that makes sense.
0: All right. Very good. Uh, we have a nice uh, crowd kind of com- coming in and, and listening in. So just want to remind folks, um, this is a Q&A portion of a debate that occurred. Uh, one portion of the debate occurred on Dan's channel. The other portion of the debate occurred on Tyler's channel. And now we're doing the Q&A. So I have some questions, but I promised to get to the audience questions. And, and fortunately, uh, there are a lot of people asking questions. So I'm just going to go straight to the audience so that they can get uh, their little uh, itching questions out of the way, and and perhaps somewhere down the line, I'll throw in some of uh, some of my own, if that's okay. How does that sound, guys?
1: Yeah. Did you want us to to briefly say what our what our what our yeah. arguments that were? Was my or... next,
0: that was my next point. Uh, I, before I went to the next one, I was actually going to ask both of you if you could define libertarian free will. And Tyler, define briefly, and I mean very briefly, like a thumbnail sketch, um, your position, assuming that they can go back and listen to the longer portion. And then kind of just briefly summarize, you know, what are you arguing for in just a couple of seconds, if that's possible. So, Dan, what is libertarian free will and what's the main point of contention that you're trying to demonstrate in this debate?
2: Sure. So libertarian free will comes down to those uh, two things we mentioned, which was sourcehood and alternative possibilities. So sourcehood being it's free from some uh, preceding determining factor or, determ- or determining cause. And then alternative possibilities is, you know, the ability to do otherwise, uh, so to speak, um, where you, you know, it's it's typically illustrated with um, the garden, of forking paths, or a road that splits into two, you can go left or you can go right or you can choose left or you can choose right, that sort of thing. Um, so I, I think that's, uh, that's it in a nutshell from putting it in a positive sense, I guess it would be um, that we have this type of agent causation that although there are certainly necessary conditions, you know, in necessary cause, we depend on God. He's given us this strength. He's keeping us in, in existence and that sort of thing. In some sense, um, there's no preceding sufficient cause for our choice. Um, you know, it, it, that, and that's kind of, so there's no, at least no event cause there's an agent cause, but that's, um, pretty unique. Uh, it's, it's, a, it's a special type of causation. I, I guess. So I, I, um, you and, know, and hopefully you, I've said enough there.
0: Are you arguing that libertarian free will is true is yeah. biblical, more reasonable. What's the specific thing you're trying to demonstrate?
2: Yeah. So definitely, um, true and biblical. I mean, biblical first. So I, I, th- I think that the simple language of choice in the scripture, and especially the language of deliberation, was the basis of my arguments uh, in the pre section. And the, you know, a choice essentially just means uh, to select between um, alternative possibilities. So you've got your twofold possibilities or your, um, all uh, ap you know this right right there in scripture just in every every sense that, that every scripture passage that has the word choice now um i understand that um what so this is probably not gonna be fair but i think what what i what i see determinists doing when they read this passage is they do one of two things they'll they'll accept a simple definition of choice that seems libertarian right but then when i point out well isn't it inconsistent to think well i can choose a and i can choose b but i'm determined such that a is necessary and b is impossible so isn't that inconsistent to hold all three propositions at the same time and and um at that point what will happen is i hear well let's define this ability in this uh Conditional sense or that sort of thing. And there I push back and say, well, that conditional sense has problems, which I've talked about in the the preceding episode, and it's not scriptural. Like that, you can't really, you shouldn't take that type of stipulated definition for uh, choice or ability and try to use it in exegesis.
0: Are you saying, and I'm just going to say this real quick so Tyler can summarize his point. Are you saying that you have issues with the conditional ability to do otherwise? So are you talking within the Uh context of that conditional categorical debate?
2: 100%. I don't I don't agree with the way it's framed and okay. I think there's significant problems with the analysis. Um we can get into the details but i hogged sure. the mic so
0: No worries, no worries. All right, so Tyler, what is your position and why are you not a libertarian free-willer?
1: Yeah, so uh so I am the the negative position here. So, um I I could have remained a pure skeptic, you know, played the why well, just lack a belief in libertarianism and you have to prove it, but that's th- those are terrible dodging debates and so uh, you know, I tried in mind to say, okay, well, I'm going to take a true negative. I'm going to try to actually argue the case that we have good reason to think libertarian freedom is false. Uh, and the way that I did that is saying, okay, well, uh, what's necessary to libertarian freedom is this is this affirmation of incompatibilism, right? Libertarianism just is this incompatibilist position that aff- that, that that thinks that uh, determinism is 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 what's called in principle incompatible with any type of freedom that's sufficient for responsibility. The problem with with uh, with all principled positions I, I shouldn't say problem the weakness of all principled positions is that they're it, I, they're what I call fragile positions right because if you take a principled position, one exception falsifies the entire the entire position and any and any subposition that affirms it right so in order in order for me to overcome incompatibilism, which says that just in principle, if something is determined, you can't be free, sufficient for responsibility, all right? So, so my goal was to say, okay, well, it just seems like we have all kinds of biblical examples where God has determined something and either, either, you know, by weak actualization or sometimes by flat out, it says God did it like flat out God, we're, we're at causal determinism on, on that instance. And yet, the the agents that are making the action that are doing the actions are held responsible for their actions. Mm. Um, And so, and so, it just seems to me that that I can take kind of a a soft compatibilism, kind of a you know a a weak compatibilism in that sense, and say that well, if if I have good reason to think that there's examples where where something is determined and the agent is free sufficient that they're that they're such that they're responsible, then just incompatibilism just is necessarily false. Um, And therefore, you know, libertarian incompatibilism is necessarily false. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I go through uh, the argument and I give uh, multiple uh, biblical examples. And then I give one theological argument um, from uh, a a shared view that Dan and I have and, and most kind of conservative Protestants have, not all, but most Um, in, in verbal plenary inspiration um, Mm. and how that, that kind of, that doesn't really jive with that just is an example of compatibilism uh, as well of something determined and free. Um, And so if those, if those types of examples hold and remember, I only need one, um, then libertarianism is just necessarily false. Whether or not I can give a count what, Whether or not I can give a positive account for how things are compatible, like whether or not I can I can describe the metaphysics, whether it's you know by these conditional analysis or if there's reasons responsiveness or guidance control, right? Even if I can't give the actual mechanisms and the and the roadmap for how it works, if if we're all trying to be you know biblically accurate and there's and there's biblical examples of something that's determined and yet responsible then it just seems to be the case that the the biblical position is compatibilism.
0: All right. Thank you for that. Let's um, move along with some audience questions. Uh, Bought with a Price asks the question, why claim libertarian free will if it's an an understood partial libertarian free will? Meaning God does some things, as the Bible states, against what man desires, such as Joseph's brothers. Shaky ground felt by the libertarian free will side. I suppose that question is for uh, Dan. So you uh, feel free, libertarianly free to
2: tackle that. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, God God does some things that the Bible states against what man desires. I don't think that's what the passage says. Um, So I I think that the text in in mind is probably um, Genesis uh, 50, 20. Let's look it up and read that real quick. So it says uh, you meant uh evil against me, but God meant it for good to bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. So this is the brothers of Joseph when they were selling into slavery, they meant it for evil. So they had a plan for Joseph. They were basically trying to get rid of him and you know ultimately kill yeah kill him off or at least get him out of the family. And but God meant it for good. Good. So God did like a Jew move and he turned they they thought this would kill Joseph or harm Joseph, but it didn't, right? He ended up becoming um, the second two. Um, so I think that's, uh, I think that's what's, what the passage is saying. But uh, here's, I, th- I think more to, but with a Price's point, God does have providential control over the world and he can use our choices um, to bring about his outcomes the way he uh, wants them to be. And there's nothing inconsistent with that and libertarian free will.
0: Mm. Okay. Um, would you like to comment on that, Tyler, or would you like me to go to the next question?
1: uh i i mean the only thing i would say is um i i agree with dan i'm not i'm not sure that it you know it, it, if we're doing this as an internal critique of libertarian freedom i'm not sure the objection really holds because you know dan dan wouldn't be arguing for some type of partial libertarian freedom right he would just say well like he just did like god is, god just is working providentially through these libertarian free choices right that's not mm-hmm. a that's not a partial. I would just, you know, exegetically push back and say you know, in, in, intention, intentionality is always forward looking, right? God, God had, God had this forward providential intention for the action, not kind of this, this backwards. I'm going to, I'm going to turn it into something good type of reactionary, right? Intention is, is a, is a prior, uh, is its prior state um, that, that's driving the actual. So can
0: I stop you right there? So Dan, is that what your position is that God has kind of this backwards kind of, reaction to what man does i mean that's an interesting kind of way that tyler phrased it that god's intentions is kind of forward right uh is is your god now i know we worship the same god but just Yeah. You know, is <laughs> is your picture of god okay reactionary in the way that it seemed tyler was suggesting given your position
2: you know, I think that there's a possibility that Tyler and I are not on the same page on this, and we actually disagree. There's certainly a sense where God knows what's going to happen and He allows it and that sort of thing, and He's mm-hmm. going to turn it into a greater good. But the example that I think um, people like to give, and I think this is a good one um, let's say you're going to throw a party, right? And you, you know, if you throw the party, you know, your friends are going to make a mess in the house. But you've got this, you know, vacuum cleaner, the robot, you know, you got your new Roomba that's going to, up the mess, right? <laughs> so, so God it, it creates the world and he can show off his goodness, his power, you know, his, his, uh, his control, his knowledge, his wisdom, all this stuff that he can show, but just by creating the world. But then sin enters and God allows it to enter, knowing what's going to happen, but he allows it to enter. And because he also has a defeater for sin, the cross, right? Redemption. And he's going to bring a greater good out of the, the sin right now if we flip the analogy right so in, in in that vacuum cleaner story right you can say well the reason you know the reason for creating wasn't for the vacuum cleaner right the reason the reason why you throw the party isn't so you can use the vacuum cleaner it just happens to be the method used to clean it up right um but let's take super lapsarian calvinism i'm not saying any of you guys are super lapsarian but if god at chose the end state right and said there are certain people that I'm going to send to heaven and some people that I'm going to send to hell. I don't think that, um, story applies. Right. So if, if that's what is meant by intention, right. You know, is God first picks the end state and then he brings sin into the picture to, you know, Um, get to that end state. Yeah, that's something I would push back on and disagree with. And I think that does not um, avail itself to, I guess, the theodicy that I just laid out in this uh, party story.
0: Mm. All right. Thank you for that. Um, I just thought the way you phrased it, if I were Dan, Tyler, and the way you kind of suggested that there was kind of this backwards God react. If I were Dan, I probably, I asked the question cause I probably would have taken issue to, or maybe want to qualify the way that you said it there. So that was the reason why I asked the question. Yeah. Um. All right. Well, you guys are doing a great job. There's another question from Augur. I never pronounce his name. I, I think, I hope that's correct. Um, and also, just as a side note, um, there are some questions coming in. Excellent. I'm so happy. But what is a mystery to me uh, is, um, of course, God's uh, secret counsels is a mystery to me. And another great mystery to me is how there are 43 people, almost 50 people watching and one heart what, does anyone not like this conversation? If you like this conversation, you're enjoying this conversation, why don't you click the like button that does me a solid and lets me know that you guys are not just watching, but you're enjoying uh, this conversation. So I'd appreciate that. Uh, give give a little love to reveal the apologetics. All right. Augur, asked the question, and this is for you, Tyler. Okay. Now Augur pops up on a lot of my live streams, man. And it seems to me he does. He's not very fond of, of Calvinism, bro. All right. Uh, so I think he's just cutting straight to the chase here. Yeah. What is a positive argument to think compatibilism is possible? So he sure. thinks probably it's not possible. How would you demonstrate its possibility?
1: Uh, yeah. So um, that's a good question. And I and I would give it a couple different ways, right? The, the first one is say, go listen to my opening. I gave a whole bunch of them. Fair. Uh, the. So, but I would do, but I do it a couple different ways. One is I would say, well, um, in order, I'm not sure that I need to show that it's possible, right? Because the 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 principled position is the one that would bear the burden, right? So, the the person who says that something can't be spherical and be green, right? It it, it just it just seems that 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 person would bear the burden to say that, rather than the person who says, well, I. There's just not really a reason to think those, t- there's no formal contradiction between them, right? It's not something saying green and not green, right? It's not saying determined and not determined. It's not saying free and not free. It's saying determined and free, right? There's no formal contradiction there. Um, it, it just seems like the the person who's saying that there's, a, that there is this principle of contradiction, they, they have this burden to prove it. So I, so I would push back a little bit on that, but I would say that my, my main argument is, well, like I said, it, it just seems that if that there that there are strong biblical biblical examples of this, right? So, you know, with without going into too many of them. Just give how about you just give one? One, yeah. one so, that you think
0: the best that captures what you're
1: saying. So the, the biggest one I give is uh and I focus the most on is is the crucifixion, right? So we have uh passages like Acts 222, uh which or two twenty-three, it says this man delivered over by the predetermined plan and foreknowledge of God, you nailed to the cross by hands of godless men and put him to death. And then expounding on this, after after uh, Peter's let out of prison, he then, they, they're saying a prayer uh, in 4.27 and following, and, and, and to God he says, um, you know, uh, for truly in the city were gathered together your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the people of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your purpose predestined to occur. Purpose uh, uh, the, the plan, the, the boule and the predestined, the oridzo, which was in, uh, chapter two, it's now pro orizōd It's actually intensified. It's happened before the events even happen He uses both those and it's by God's hand this time that it was predestined to occur. And in the biblical language, whenever God, something's by his hand, God is bringing it about, right? This is, this is not, he's allowing it. This is not, he knows God's hand is what's doing it. And we see it in just the, in the very next verse, um, where it's by, by that, that you while you extend your hand to heal and signs and wonders take place. Right. So God God's hand in this context is very active. He's saying it's by your hand that they were that they were predestined by your by your plan to crucify Jesus. Right but we're also told that they were wicked men for doing so right so there's there's this clear example of god is is causally bringing about right whether or not you think that god has determined all things remember i only need one example where something is determined and yet the agents are responsible right and so it just seems it just seems patently the case without you know i would need some really 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 amazing uh, exegesis from the other side to say well this this isn't somehow god's hand you know, determining that they do this, and yet they're responsible. Uh, Um, Dan, would you agree that God causes
0: everything, but that you have a particular understanding of what it means for God to cause, so that you have perhaps an explanation of God bringing about things that's consistent with, like, your libertarianism? How would you hash out uh, or respond to what Tyler has said there? What do you disagree with, and how would you explain this idea that it, it seems, at least for me as a Calvinist, it seems clear that at least in the sense of the crucifixion, God is is actively bringing about this evil action, and men are sufficiently held responsible for their actions. So that passage seems, at least on the surface, to support a Calvinistic understanding. Where would you disagree, and how would you explain it from your perspective?
2: Sure. So. I guess let's let's start with the Acts uh, Acts 4:28 passage. And actually, Tyler's advanced uh, three different arguments. So the Acts 4:28, that basically the crucifixion. There's mm-hmm. also the case of hardening, and then there's the case of inspiration of scriptures. And all three of them, I've responded roughly the same way, which is two different ways. I'm not sure what the answer is. On the one hand, especially with Acts 4.28, I'm not sure that pro aridzo is just a synonym for determined or predetermined or something like that. It could be, yeah. you know, arranged or planned, or, you know, that sort of thing, or God made a choice. But let's say for the sake of argument that Tyler is is right, and this just means predetermined. Okay. Yeah. So just because God determines one thing, the crucifixion, doesn't mean that he's determined everything, you know what cereal you're going to have for breakfast or that sort of thing, right? So that's the main concern. Now, Tyler is right that, okay, if for the sake of argument, it means determined. Mm -hmm. These people are responsible. So he's right. They're determined and responsible. So the question is not, can they be determined and responsible, but can they be determined and free? That's there. There are two different questions. And it's true that freedom and responsibility usually go to hand in hand, but not always. Right. So there's cases where people are um, will set in, in terms of Cain's philosophy or hardened or that sort of thing in terms of the scriptural language and where, you know, in, in some preceding case, they had alternative possibilities. But it may be that a hardened sinner, like, let's say, Judas. Right. Maybe he couldn't have done otherwise at the time. OK. You know, but he previously he did have um, alternative possibilities. So that's uh, an example, like a you know a drunk person or right? something like like that. They can choose not to get drunk, but once they're drunk, maybe they can't actually control their car, but they're still responsible if they hit somebody. Uh, so it be it would be something like that. Um, so so would, I guess would
0: they, be, would they be responsible for hitting someone because there was a prior state? in which they were free and responsible to prevent themselves from getting into that state in which they couldn't do otherwise.
2: Exactly, so the question is really, just because this one event is determined, for the sake of argument, let's just say that it's determined, right? You know, it doesn't mean that everything else is determined, why? Well, I think that everything is determined if this one thing is. Can I? Okay, so uh, I guess I'm asking
0: because because Tyler was saying something of the effect that all he needs is one example. If it's possible that these people were determined to perform a wicked act and they're held morally responsible, doesn't that I mean, you can help help me understand. Doesn't that demonstrate that incompatibilism is false? He's he found an
2: instance in which they are compatible. Where where, what, what am I missing? Okay, so remember again, we have the the two main conditions, sourcehood, and alternative possibilities. Okay. Most of the time, they go hand in hand. When you're making a choice, they go hand in hand, but they don't always, right? Mm -hmm. They can come apart. Once you have once you have identified the two of them as distinct concepts, you can you can see cases where you have sourcehood, but you don't have alternative possibilities. Now, so if you if you read, let's say for example, if you read uh, Arminius's commentary on Romans nine nineteen. he specifically says in the preceding time, you know, Pharaoh had alternative possibilities and he could have avoided this situation. But at that moment when he was being hardened, he couldn't. God irresistibly hardened him. Right. So he he's specifically saying that, yes, Pharaoh is responsible because in preceding cases, when he told people to make bricks without straw and stuff like that, you know, when, when Moses comes, says, let my people go. Anyway, so so the, the point is, it's. Um, the alternative possibilities were in some preceding condition, but once they've gone down this path far enough, once they develop bad enough habits and that sort of thing, they may actually be in a condition where they no longer have alternative possibilities, but remain responsible because they um, will set or, you know, form their character in this specific way. Gotcha. Gotcha. Um,
0: Is there any other follow up that you'd like for that? Or would you like me to go to the next question?
1: I I mean, just, I mean, a couple of thoughts is um, if if libertarianism has to, um, I'm trying to I'm trying to find a, a, a gentle way to say what I want to say, but if if it, if it has to if it has to modify itself to the point where incompatibilism is no longer necessary, um, alternative possibilities are no longer necessary. Right, because I mean, you can you can talk to a bunch of a bunch of incompatibilists who are sourcehood incompatible. You know, Kevin Tempe and others, and they'll say, "Look, I mean, at, at the core of incompatibilism, there just is this leeway condition. There, 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 there's always this leeway condition somewhere at the core." And so, if that if you say that's not necessary, it really comes down to sourcehood. And and most compatibilists are going to say, "Well, I mean, what if all you have is sourcehood, like?" You just are a compatibilist, right? You're just you're just kind of a you're just kind of an unhappy compatibilist, right? You just don't like don't like the label, right? So because mo- most compatibilists we're we're sourcehood compatibilists, right? We we think that the the reason why you, re, you are responsible is because you are the efficient source for your actions, right? You that that you that you're doing the thing that you want to do as the as the source of your action, right? God isn't God when when we say God is God is determined it, it doesn't mean God is choosing it in your plate, like kicking you out of the driver's seat. And now he's in the driver's seat, choosing it for you. You are still the source. You're the still, you still have guidance control. You still have reasoned responsiveness, right? So, so we, so everything that Dan said, I would say, well, well that just is compatibilism at that point, right, that, that, that just, that just is that, but, but that's, but that's just become so modified away from libertarianism that at that point I'm going say, okay, well now we just have to discuss, you know, what, what type of compatibilist are you because it's no longer like it's no longer libertarianism as defined in
2: the literature.
0: Now so, I just want to, if we're playing volleyball, I'm going to like you, you hit that one and it looks like Dan wants to give one more volley back. So, um, let's one more, give,
1: he, he can have the last word. I will not yeah, let,
0: let's, let's let Dan kind of respond to that. And then we'll go to the next question. This is an excellent conversation, folks. Thank you so much for listening in. There's so many questions here. Um, I, I'm, I had my cup of coffee, so I'm awake. So as long as they're awake and down, we can go through these and, uh, Hopefully, folks can get their questions answered. So far, you guys are doing a great job. But Dan, why don't you
2: um, respond to what Tyler said there? Yeah, so again, at some points, you actually do have alternative possibilities. Even if you don't have them all the time, you do have them sometimes. And where it comes really important is in the garden before the fall, right? Because then when you have alternative possibilities and sourcehood, now you have apologetic value in it. And if libertarian free will doesn't exist, libertarian free will can't be between God and sin, right? So you know, I guess um, I would put a huge difference between a a Pharaoh being hardened, and Adam and Eve um, pre fall. And so I I would say it still plays a, a very, very, very important role in our overall theology and theodicy and that sort of thing. But it is true. In some cases, we don't have alternative possibilities. Okay. All right. Thank you for that.
0: Uh, the Sire asks, what actually is a possible world? What actually are their ontology and how does that work within your view? Tyler first and then uh, Dan can share his thoughts.
1: Yeah. yeah. Uh, I mean, alternative uh, or, or, or other possible worlds are these are these sci fi parallel universes. No, it's not at all so they're, they're, ju- they're just a way that we can talk about the, um, different types of modalities right different different types of ways the world could have been um, uh, had certain conditions been different right um, So you know we, we could talk about, we can talk about a possible world where um, where I have blonde hair instead of brown hair um, but we can't talk about a possible world where where I'm a married bachelor right because that's not a possible world right that, that's not that's not a logically possible world. Um, that, so that, that's really it. Uh, some people think that there are these like mystical things that, that philosophers are talking about. They're, they're not, it's just, it's just kind of talking about the ways, ways the world could have been. And, and as someone who's reformed, I'm going to say, well, you know, there, there are ways that there, the ways the world, the, the, there are ways that God could have decreed the world to be, um, mm-hmm. other than the way that it is.
0: Okay. Um, I'm curious then before I asked Dan, so do you think God has
1: libertarian free will? So it's a good question. Uh, I'm going to answer no, but for a definitional reason, not for a he's not free reason, Um, because remember, libertarianism just is the just is an incompatibilist position. So if I say it's libertarian, it just means that in no way is compatible, is determinism ever compatible with with freedom, sufficient responsibility. I think that's false. Right, okay. so I'm going to say, well, well, God, God, God is maximally free. I think God does have alternative possibilities. I think you know uh, there, that there's nothing outside of God that's determining him, uh, his actions, in the way that there are things that are outside us determining our actions and in, in our creaturely freedom. Mm-hmm. Um, so I would just say that he has he has uh, he has uh, you know maximal freedom as the creator um, in an undetermined way, whereas we have creaturely uh, determined freedom.
2: Okay, uh, Dan, did you want to add to that or? yeah definitions are important i mean i think what I, I would characterize roughly what tyler said as libertarian freedom for god right he he's not determined by something outside of god and he has alternative possibilities sounds pretty good as far as you know checking the boxes as libertarian freedom in terms of um this um uh, the sire's question: what is an uh, what actually is a possible world that's a good question i you know it frankly if you don't find the term helpful probably just set it aside that's my advice but um One of the qualms I have with the term possible world is, you know, it it flattens it out because you think of it as like a globe, but think of them as timelines. Possible worlds are timelines, and these are alternative timelines. And the foundation for all possibilities is God, right? So there's what God can do. So he can create the world, not create the world, create the world this way or that way. And those are all different possible worlds or possible timelines. And then there's also what God can enable us to do. So if he can enable me to have Cheerios or eat strawberries, right? So those are two different possible worlds, Um, you know. And that language itself, like Tyler said, isn't exclusive to non-Calvinists or Molinists or something like that. Um, Reformed theologians can hold to possible worlds in that sense as well. Now, one further core clarification is. But when it talks about possible worlds, are you talking about logical possibility or are you talking about causal possibility? Normally, this is talking about logical possibility in terms of a coherent set of propositions about everything that's going to happen. Um, so they're non-contradictory propositions about everything that's going to happen. And it's not specifically talking about causation and causal possibilities um, and that sort of thing. So hmm. hopefully that answers the question there, uh, the sire.
0: All right. Thank you for that, Dan. Uh, Next question. Colin Brooks asks, this is for Dan. How do you reconcile perseverance of the saints with your view of free will?
2: Very good question. So I do take the warning passages and especially the ones in Hebrews 6 and Hebrews 10 very seriously. They do seem to be saying, certainly if you fell away, um, then you would lose your salvation, that sort of thing. So I kind of think of it as like a a parent telling a child, you know, if you touch the stove, you're going to burn your hand. But that doesn't mean that, you know, if you know i saw my kid going for the stove i'm not i'm going to grab him and stop him. It's the same thing with like running out in the street if you run out in the street you can get squashed by the car so it's kind of like that so um the uh warnings themselves are a means that god uses now god has knowledge not just of what we will do but what we do, would do and he uses that knowledge just to keep us from uh falling away from going too far from you know renouncing our faith and th- that sort of thing and um the way i look at it is like this you know so in libertarian free will, God can't determine that somebody freely do something because that's a contradiction, right? That, they, um, that they, they're determined to freely do it. So, um, but apostasy is something that is a positive action that God can prevent, right? So God can prevent anything he wants to, and he simply doesn't allow a true believer to apostatize. Then, now, one final argument that I'd make uh, for Colin, and I don't know if you guys have ever heard uh, Plato's analogy of the cave, but I think it's actually a good one. So, the, you know, there's a guy who lives in a cave. You know, he was born in the cave. And all he sees is, like, he has a candle behind him. All he sees is a shadow of, of himself and his limbs and that sort of thing. And then um, eventually he's in, his, he's in stocks and stuff like that. So all he's, literally all he knows of himself is the shadow world of the cave. Then once he goes outside of the cave, then he sees the light and the beauty of it. And then uh, they ask him, well, "Hey, do you want to go back in?" The no, I'm never going back into the cave again. Well, I think I think the glory of Christ is kind of that way. So once we've seen who Christ is, and I think in the Hebrews 11 passage, you know, they, they were looking for that uh, the kingdom of uh, of God, you know, that sort of thing. So once they have that, once they have that uh, beautiful vision of Christ, they're never turning back. Hmm. All right, thank you for that. This is a question
0: for both of you. Uh, Shannon Herring um, says, "Since both of you hold to the T, total depravity, how does this totally depraved person quote hear the gospel in this state?" Tyler, why don't you tackle that first?
1: Yeah, I, I think this is actually, you know, uh, an interesting. Th- this will be an interesting answer because uh, because Dan, as far as I understand it, is a, is a is a classical, what some would even call a reformed Arminian. Um, and so I, I, you know, I think some of the the, the Armenians and provisionists and others in the in the group might hear his answer. For, as far as I understand it, I could be wrong, but if I remember right, they might hear it and be like, "Oh, Dan's a covert Calvinist." Uh, but um, uh, yeah, as as Reformed, I would say, well, you know, the person who who uh, who is who is totally depraved, the, the person in their natural state, they 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 cannot hear the gospel, right? I, I mean, it, 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 Paul tells us in in First Corinthians two. Um, that the natural man uh, cannot cannot appraise or even accept uh, the things of the Spirit. It, paradigmatically, he's giving an example of what's foolishness uh, to the Gentiles, which is the gospel. It's the death and uh, resurrection of Jesus. Um, in in uh, in first in Second Corinthians, uh, he talks about how the the natural man are, are the the unbelievers are blinded to the gospel. The very the very thing that we're saying, well, can't they just believe it? We're we're told that if you're an unbeliever. You're actually blinded to it by the, by the prince of the power of the air. Um, and so I would say that the, the, the way that someone hears the gospel in a sense that um, they, they come to saving faith is by, um, and, I'll, and I'll, I'll say this in a more ecumenical way than a specifically Calvinistic way, but is by the special and gracious working of the Holy Spirit uh, on uh, that person in the moment they, that they repent and believe.
2: Okay. Uh, what about you, Dan? So um, I think almost every Arminian is going to agree on three points that I'm going to lay out. And the fourth point is more controversial. So the three points would be, you know, before you're ready to hear the gospel and accept the gospel or enable to believe the gospel, um, three things are necessary. One is the conviction of the Holy Spirit that we see in John chapter 16. The second is the drawing uh, of the cross that we see in John uh, 12, 32. And then the third is the illumination that we see in um, John 1, 9. So, um, Now the fourth point, not everyone holds to, but I think Arminius did and I think um, some do in in what I call a peri-regenerational state or an opening of the heart state. So in, um, I think it's what, in Ezekiel 36, it talks about um, God um, basically uh, opening our heart or changing out our heart, uh, uh, taking out the heart of stone and turning it into a heart of flesh. So it depends what that passage means. Right. And there are passages that speak of Israel at that time having been hardened. Right. And if that's the case, if that's what it's talking about, then that hardening of heart has to be softened first. And the hardening has to be reversed first before the person can hear the gospel in the sense that, uh, Shannon, that you're asking. Now, that's my personal take on it. Now, other people will take it different ways and they'll say, no, that's a new covenant blessing. And there's, there's good reasons to believe that, too. So I think uh, that's kind of an in-house uh, dispute among amongst Ar- Armenians. But the three core points, um, conviction, illumination and drawing, um, I think all, all Armenians will say are necessary prerequisites before you're able to believe the gospel. All right, thank you for
0: that. Uh, next question here from Neeland. Uh, Neeland asks, "Can you both please define the will?" Uh, uh, I
1: can. T- I can take a stab at it without without going to a specific view of freedom and what's needed for responsibility. Almost universally across the board, there there actually is a surprising about agreement that that the will, uh, and we're talking about freedom, but what we're, we're talking about what what's called the control condition. For moral responsibility, mm-hmm. so there, there's a bunch of these different conditions that say, okay, well, you know, what what has to be met, what has to be necessary in order for some type of moral, epistemic, you know, ex- existential responsibility to, to obtain, um, and the will, um, you know, free free will is seen as this, the 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 control condition, the amount of control you have to have over the action in order to be responsible, right? So there's, there's epistemic uh, conditions, right? So you have to be positioned to know that, you know, if, you know, if you, if you put poison in, in your friend's drink, you have to, you have to have be been in a position to know that it was poison, not deceived to think that it was sugar. Um, so the, you know, that, that, those types of, those types of things. So the, the free will just is that, that condition of control that's needed for someone to be responsible.
0: Hmm. Dan, do you agree with that? Or you have something to add to that?
2: I do Disagree with that, but uh, so just to focus on Nieland's question. So the will, or in Greek, or something like that, is it an equivocal term. So it can be taken in terms of desire, or it can be taken in terms of the faculty which chooses um in our discussion probably the faculty which chooses is probably the more relevant sense but you need to look at the context of the term will to determine which one is the um the correct one to go with in some sense the term libertarian free will is triple redundant right you know you know the the will can't be forced because that's against the nature of the will itself so the will is going to be free right it just is and if it's not free it's not a will and then If it's not free, you know, if it's not libertarian, it's not free. So libertarian and free are just kind of redundant terms. And I I mean the same thing um, by those terms.
0: All right. Thank you for that. Uh, Keith uh, Hoover um, asked the question. Point one, pre-fall. Two, after the fall. Three, born again believer. Four, believer in new heaven and new earth. Five, unbelievers in hell. Question, do they all have libertarian free will at each point? Um, well, I suppose Dan can answer that question because you hold to libertarian free will. So maybe you have something to speak to that. Maybe Tyler could share his thoughts.
2: Sure. So, uh, in point one pre-fall, yes, people have a libertarian free will. Adam had the ability to obey or not obey. Um, point two, after the fall, we retain libertarian free will among evil options. You know, so the person can, I don't know, you know, um, Go, go out and get drunk or, you know, smoke pot or something like that, right? Like you can choose between evil options, some less evil than others. They can be relatively, you know, there can be relative good acts, I guess, but there's no true um, acceptable before God righteousness um, in, a, in a fallen, unregenerated state.
0: So um, I apologize for interrupting. So you said that they have libertarian free choices uh, between e- evil actions. Would you hold to a soft libertarian perspective? As opposed to, say, like hard
2: libertarianism. I, I guess maybe if you could clarify those two terms, I am less um, familiar with them.
0: Yeah, yeah are, Tyler, are you familiar with like hard and soft libertarianism?
2: Uh, yeah, it,
1: a, a little bit. So I, I think what he's asking you, Dan, is is when when you say they have libertarian freedom, do you do you mean that they just they they have the you know the, the ability of of contriety of, of choosing between a range of options, all of them are evil. Um, but they, but they, they could choose one or not choose one, but all of their options are bad because they're depraved, but they, but they don't have, they don't have the ability of contradiction, which is they can't do, they, they, they can't do either a good thing or a bad thing.
2: Right. Yeah. I agree with that. So, right. So I'm not a, so a Pelagian would say they can choose between good or evil in a, in a fallen state, they can choose between good or evil without God's grace. And I'm not that right. So You know, apart from God's enabling grace, um, they can only choose between evil. But they can choose evil options because there's an evil alternatives before them.
0: Okay, so so their evils are not determined. They're determined by their they're limited by their nature, but they have libertarian free will ability between the evil options that they choose from
2: right right again so think of it as like going down a road and there's guardrails on the other side but it's a three-lane road so they can go you know left right or center but they can't go you know off, gotcha. the, off the rails on a train. and then so the born again believer yes so the born again believer has uh libertarian free will and the ability to choose um, between good and evil options because we have the holy spirit's enabling and then the fourth state um a believer in uh new in heaven so okay so blessed in heaven i would say that they have um freedom to choose between good options or at least could have freedom to choose between good options i actually would also say that that's the same of um of god god can choose between good options unbelievers in hell um perhaps they have freedom to choose between evil options um so i would say yeah so i I would affirm libertarian free will at each point but the the question is well how do we apply it soteriologically? when do they have choices between good and evil. And that's really, uh, in in state one and in state three. Okay. Thank you for that, Dan. Tyler, do you
0: have anything to add to that?
1: Uh, I mean, I, I just don't think libertarian freedom is, is coherent in God's creation. So I don't think at at, 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 at any point. Yeah.
0: Right. Okay. All right. Thank you. That makes us, that makes our job much easier. (laughs) Okay. Thank you very much. All right. Uh, consistent Calvinism podcast asks, do you recognize the difference between choosing what we want and choosing what to want if we choose what to want to choose would that not be inserting an extra layer of choice want me to read that again
2: no i think i got it okay um so i I mean tyler i don't don't know if you want to go first on this or you want me to just give it a shot
1: yeah it 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 almost reminded me i i i love i love colin from consistent calvinism but the, the, the last sentence reminded me of like if you choose to choose, 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 sir from Fox and Sox anyways. (laughs) uh, Yeah. So, I mean, I, I, so I'm a, I'm a compatibilist, so I'm going to, I'm going to see this difference of choosing what you want and choosing what to want. um, Because yes, I, I I think um, if we say he, he's trying to respond to a very common um, incompatibilist argument that if, if we don't have the response, if we don't have, if we don't have the the ability to choose the things that we desire, then we aren't free. If our desires determine our actions, right? And he's saying, well, in that case, then all you have to do is back up the step and say, okay, well, why did you choose to want the thing that you desire, right? It just it just keeps you know ad infinitum. You just get this infinite regress of of well, why did you want to choose that? And why did you want to choose that? Like you 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 know. You never get to a point where that stops, where there's the, where there actually is a causal explanation. There, there actually is a sufficient explanation for it. So, um, yes, I I I, I understand. I I do accept the difference, um, and I think that it is an it, it is an important one. If someone is making that objection that you have to have this kind of direct doxastic control over the things that you want in order for those things that you want to determine what you do. Otherwise, you're not free. It worked. I think it's important distinction in that context of that particular disagreement.
0: All right. Uh, Here's a question for me. Eli, do you feel responsible for encouraging Tim Stratton to use the Avengers in his Molinism debate? Uh, No. Um, I think I remember telling him to be careful using analogies and sticking with the text of Scripture, especially if you're debating uh, Dr. White. Um, I had spoken to Dr. White and Tim prior to the debate and I I tried to give some advice to, uh, you know, after telling him I wish he lose, I hope he loses because I'm a Calvinist, right? Um, I told him if I were to debate Dr. White, I would stick as close as possible to the text. If you're going to argue is Molinism biblical, I would do I would focus on some exegesis with a sprinkling of some of those philosophical arguments that need to be thrown in there Um, because once you remove yourself from the text which i think tim kind of did in my opinion uh that's not going to work with someone who's um listening to dr white whether you agree with dr white or not um he tries to go through the text you know you could disagree with the exegesis but for people who are really wanting to see someone walk through the text to demonstrate their position that comes off more powerfully for a person kind of on the fence, so to speak. So the more analogies and things, I mean, they're helpful, but eh, I definitely didn't encourage him to use that. So that's
1: just my my little take I, there. So if, if I could if I could throw something in, I so I, you know, there there are some there are some you know some funny memes like you know t- you know turns me to Avengers three <laughs> sixteen, but they're they're funny. But I'm going to stand up for Tim and I say, look, there's nothing wrong with people yes. appealing to movies to make analogies like. Yes. Calm down. He was totally fine to do so. Lots Make of it. people do it. William Lane Craig, uh, you know, in, in his defenses, appeals to uh, you know, um, uh, Christmas Carol to talk about. That. Like, it's fine, guys. It's totally fine. Yeah. Now, I don't think his analogies worked. Mm-hmm. but people need to stop freaking out as if he was doing yeah. some crazy thing by talking about the Avengers. Like,
0: right. I don't want to, I don't want to get too off topic, but I agree. There's nothing wrong with using analogies. It's just by way of like a strategy. If you're debating Dr. White, that's yeah. going to work against you, especially the audience that you're trying to convince. So that's just my opinion, but I do think there's nothing wrong with them in principle, but let's move on here. Uh, uh, let's see here. this a question bought with a price asks. Why does John eight thirty. Area, that's what it says. Why does John 830 area describing Jesus must set you free, not just eliminate libertarian free will? Just as a kind of a throwing, you know, throwing a couple of things out here. If you're gonna ask a question, just double check the grammar of your question because it seems it feels really awkward to to ask the question if it sounds weird. So I do apologize about with the price, but um, I don't know if you guys understand that question. Why does John 830 uh area describing Jesus must set you free not eliminate libertarian free will that's for you Dan I suppose
2: so I suspect they probably mean John 832 and you will know the truth and the truth will set you free um, so this is definitely talking about slavery to sin. So I think it's a slightly different category than the type of libertarian freedom where we've been talking about. So we're dealing mostly with the philosophical issue rather than the soteriological issue. But to address directly the um, soteriological issue, we are slaves to sin. We're born, that which is born of flesh is flesh, right? So we're born slaves to sin. And unless Christ frees us, we can't free ourselves. We need him. But in my opening speech, I actually use that as an argument against tyler's position and i'm curious if, if he wants to respond to it but let's take for example the language the language uses lack of freedom slavery and inability specifically so in john 644 right it says you know you can't come to me, unless the Father who sends me draws him. That's incompatibilist language. It's not compatibilist language. It's not saying you can if you want to, you can if it's your strongest desire. No, Christ says you can't come to me unless the Father who sent you draws him. So Christ is making an incompatibilist claim. Hmm, interesting. What, what say you,
1: Tyler? <laughs> yeah. So, so first, I agree with the response that uh, the type of freedom talked about in eight thirty two, it's just freedom from bondage, just not talking about this philosophical sense of freedom of the will. So, okay. it, I'm not sure it's relevant. My response is, um, nah uh it, it just seems to me that that's compatibilist language right it's saying it's saying you can't you couldn't do otherwise and yet you're responsible if you if you if you you know you can't come to me unless i do it but i'm still gonna if they don't i'm still gonna judge you as responsible and send you to hell um so it it, it actually seems to me to be compatibilist language um that even though they they couldn't do otherwise and even though they didn't have the, the contra-causal ability to do otherwise they didn't have the idetic ability to, to to do otherwise um they're still responsible, uh, and, and, and just as just as uh, uh, which, which is within incompatibilism. So uh, I I just don't see how that's strictly incompatibilist language. Okay, uh,
0: thank you for that. Um, Augur strikes again. Uh, what is a positive philosophical argument? Now, being more specific, I know they asked a similar uh, this person asked a similar question earlier. What is a positive philosophical argument for believing compatibilism is possible? Yeah,
1: so uh, it, it wasn't really the scope of this one because again, I was the negative position, so I was trying to to, to show that uh, that libertarian freedom is 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 false. Um, without taking up too much time, uh, I'm, I would just reference uh, someone to go read, uh, you know, Fisher and Raviza to read Preci- Preciato, to read Bignon's book. Right there, are, there are all kinds of arguments um, arguing uh, in favor of um, uh, compatibilism in the philosophical sense. Uh, but for these for these debates, I'm just I'm just far more interested in in biblical arguments, um, and then again, you know, I do offer a couple of theological arguments. One of them that borders on philosophical, although it probably falls under theological. Although theology is just philosophy about God; it's just thinking hard about God. Um, it, it's the one that I that I actually had to cut for my opening statement for time. Is it seems that <clears throat> I'm. Uh, let me preface by saying I'm not saying that knowledge is causal. It's not the argument. So if the reaction is, knowledge is causal, you're missing the argument. That's not actually the argument. My argument is, if if God foreknows, or God knows, what I'm going to do tomorrow, right? We all agree, we're not open theists, right? If God knows what I'm going to do tomorrow, right? Knowledge just is true belief, right? If he knows what I'm going to do tomorrow, And God is impeccable, right? God God is infallible in his knowledge. It's not even possible for God to be wrong. Then it's not possible for me to not do the thing that he knows tomorrow. Because for for if God knows tomorrow that I'm gonna do X infallibly, it's not possible for me to do, it's not possible that He be wrong. For me to be able to do not X right? That's just what's called synthetically identical with God's knowledge being wrong, right? So that, that Tyler doing not X just is synthetically identical with the falseness of God's knowledge. But God is, it's not even possible for God's knowledge to be false. But those two things are identical, right? They're, they're just analytically or, or synthetically identical. So if, 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 if one of them is false, the other one is necessarily false, Right, so it just seems it just seems obvious that if 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 God if God is infallible in His knowledge, then I I cannot do other than the thing that He knows I'll do. Not because His knowledge is causal. Whatever whatever the causal chain, I'm not making claims for how that metaphysically works out. It just seems to be a, a necessary log- logical condition uh, of God having infallible knowledge of future of future uh, free choices
0: okay uh dan did you have something to respond with there
2: yeah yes yeah, so I, I think um that might be a better argument for determinism uh, than compatibilism per se um we could do a whole debate on god's foreknowledge but i yeah. think the, the quick answer is that you know I, i'm somewhat of an alchemist right so um you know that it's it's uh, if we were to do otherwise right then god would have known that Right, um, but I, 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 I but uh, let me f- focus on Auger's question. So, you know, here's the, there's there is a superficial contradiction in compatibilism, which is you can and you cannot do otherwise, right? I think I think that there, there just is now. The question is can that be fixed, right? In the attempt that's made, at least by Bion, uh, uh, Bion, was, well, there's two different senses of can, right? And one, it will say, is this conditional sense and one is categorical, right? And so the conditional sense is, I could, I could have done otherwise if I had wanted to, right? So I think that doesn't avoid the contradiction, and here's why. So for starters, it sounds good, but it's not, because not all conditional senses are compatible with determinism. Right. So we're looking for a specific type of conditional sense. So as long as you you know, the condition is possible, it's still libertarian. But if the condition is impossible, so let's say I can if I want to. But it was impossible for me to want to because of God's decree. Right. That's a problem. Now we have not just a conditional analysis, but an impossible conditional analysis. And that's not a normal sense. Right. And that's not a sense that we should be using an exegesis of scripture. At least, you know, we we'd need an argument for why that's you know, what the biblical authors mean. You know, and, and the many passages where they talk about our choices and abilities and that sort of thing. And then isn't it still just retreating the contradiction one further step saying you can do otherwise because it is impossible for you to do otherwise? And isn't it also taking our ability to do otherwise? And moving it out of this world, out of reality, and putting it in a hypothetical world that doesn't exist and can't exist, right? So I I don't think that the conditional analysis uh, holds good. So ultimately, I don't think that there is an answer to get around the contradiction that compatibilism just is the contradiction that you can and cannot do otherwise.
1: Uh, do you have any thoughts on that, Tyler? I have a lot of thought. I mean this was this was a this was a big point in the cross examination. Mm -hmm. Um, Go watch Dan's uh, because I because I brought this up. I don't think that that analysis holds. Um, I mean, the first of all, it it's it's inaccurate to call it a contradiction because the instant that we make a conceptual distinction, right? So something is only a contradiction if it if it says X and not X in the same way. Right. Right. Well, we just don't mean X and not X in the same. So you can do it and you can't do it, but we don't mean that in the same way. Right. Just it's just flat out not a contradiction. Now, you might not think one of those obtains. That's fine. But it's just, it's just flatly not a contradiction. Um, it it y- yeah. So um, <clears throat> it, it'd be like saying, well, I'm hungry and I'm not hungry at the same time, right? Because I'm hungry for food, but I'm not, you know, hung- hungry to go to a party, right? In that kind of desire sense, right? Well. I, I, can say, I can say I'm hungry and not hungry in, in those two different senses. And that's just not a contradiction, right? Now you might say, okay, but you're, you, you say you're hungry for food, but you're not actually hungry for food. So that's just not true. That's fine. And, and, and we can go on from the conditional sense. But what I find interesting is that on Molinism, on, on Dan's view, that's actually it's funny that he said that like in this like hypothetical world you're free but on the actual world because on molinism that's actually one of my main objections to molinism is that in this middle knowledge in this kind of in this kind of ethereal world that god somehow knows what i would do in this totally ungrounded way where i it's i can't even say i it's 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 the pre-incarnate tyler in the mind that's somehow autonomous from god's decree doing something and somehow God knows that I would like you have all these grounding problems. he know what I would libertarianly do. And so, you know, you can listen to, you know, Tim Stratton's opening where he says, look, I think that God predestines everything because, because God knows the world and he actual, he decrees that world and not some other world. That means that ca- God is causally determining that that world and no other world be the case. And so in this actual world, I can't do otherwise. I, I could have done otherwise in this kind of supra feasible, you know, possible world. That's where my real libertarianism was. Not in the actual world, because in the actual world, I can't falsify the decree of God. God is predestined but that wouldn't I do they, that.
0: But wouldn't they say that... Well, in that hypothetical ethereal world, if God knew the counterfactuals of creaturely freedom, that's all that that's all that's necessary to make one morally responsible in the actual world because
1: but look at that but look what that does. That means that that God has decreed he's causally he, he is he is predestined that I will do X tomorrow, right right? right. But I can't do not X because that's just synthetically yes. identical with his knowledge being wrong. Well, I so think they would me, So I'm free. Yeah. I'm libertarianly free in middle knowledge. But then I have a different t- I have a predestined freedom in the actual world. So actually, that knowledge of my libertarian choice isn't actually a one to one, correlation, because in that world, I have a different type of hypothetical freedom than I have in the actual world. So God's, God's middle knowledge doesn't even trace on to the actual, there's just, there's so many metaphysical All right, problems. Let's,
2: let's let Dan give a little pushback there. Yeah. So, okay. So let's make a, let's make a distinction in, in terms of possibility. So there's causal possibilities and there's, joint, what I'll call joint logical possibilities. So think of a syllogism, right? So if you have two premises, two valid premises in a syllogism, the conclusion is necessary. You can't conclude otherwise. That's what I mean by a logical, a joint logical necessity, right? So in that sense, you're right. So if you have, if you have um, the the truth that, you know, God has uh, predestined this, you you know, you're not going to come to any conclusion, and that's what will happen. Now, from a causal standpoint, which is a different animal, it's not a a causal standpoint, isn't a syllogism, it's a cause and effect, or, you know, what's the interaction, you know, causal relationship. So in that sense, yeah, you can cause something else. So what I would say is you can do otherwise than God knows that you will do, but you won't. Now, yeah, you know, here's another analogy. Think of a teeter totter, right? And so think of a teeter totter. So you have one side, think of that as the past. then the other side, that's the future, right? So and then at the fulcrum, think of that as the present, right? So if God knows that I'm going to eat ice cream, right, um, you know, those those things are related. And if God knows that I'm going to eat chocolate, it's going to go the other way so you're going to have a different past now the the choice the ability at the fulcrum point right you can do otherwise but you won't do otherwise now compare that to the same teeter-totter to the conditional analysis the the um, you could if you wanted to That's the actual past, your desire, that was in your actual past. So now you have kind of this broken teeter-totter. To get to the ability to do otherwise, you need a different past than actually existed. That's the problem. So what I'm saying is if the future would, would be different, then the past would have been different, right? But on the compatibilist conditional analysis, for the ability, for the fulcrum to be there, the past would have to have been different. That's the problem. But that's interesting though. So I, I mean,
1: I have a couple of pushbacks. One, one is yeah. the instant you say I could do otherwise, you've just denied infallibility. You've, you've you've said his knowledge is inerrant. It won't be wrong, but it could be wrong, right? You just denied infallibility. So you just have to bear that burden. Maybe, maybe you're willing to bite that bullet. I'm not, right? So because because me doing otherwise than what God knows, if I could do that, that's just synthetically identical with God's knowledge being possibly wrong. So it, it, it's just infallibilities out the window. The other thing that I push back, though, it's what's really interesting when you make the, the, the seesaw is if the past is not causally determinant of the future, right, you can't have that arrow going in the other direction, right? You can't say that if I would have done otherwise, then the past would have been different because that means the past would have been causally determinant of the outcome
2: or the, or the connection is not causal, but logical in the other direction. God knows what we'll do because that's what we'll do at that moment. So tomorrow, when I wake up and eat Wheaties, God's knowledge of that today is based on tomorrow. Now he's outside of time. We don't understand all that. Got it. But the basis of God's knowledge is the future event, right? So Mm -hmm. if I were if it was true that I will eat strawberries instead of Wheaties, then God would have known that. So the relation, the logical relationship is the other way around right now in terms of infallibility. um, Again, the, I don't deny a logical necessary, necessary conclusion, right? So given, you know, given the premises, you know, you're going to come to the conclusion, but that's a totally different animal than causal, uh, connections and causation. Okay.
1: Yeah. I mean, I would just push back and say that that's just, it's just, uh, (laughs) it, it's just moving the goalposts. Right. So, so, so if we stipulate right now, right. Ignore timelessness. Right. And again, I'm not saying God's knowledge is the thing that's causal. I actually think God's decree is the thing that's causal. Right. So if, but if we say right now at 7:15 for me, I think it's 9:15 10 15 for you guys. 10:15. 15. 10:15. God knows that with with respect to to, to you know at, at T1 tomorrow, I will choose to eat fruit loops. Right? To say then tomorrow at T1, do I have the if 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 you know, the pass is already baked in? You can't change, well, God would have known otherwise. That's just to move the goalposts. Because we've already stipulated as part of the argument that God knows in advance what I'm going to do. Right? In the actual sequence of events, at T1 tomorrow, when it comes choice, you know, time for me to choose to eat or not eat, do, can I have, not the faculty, right? I'm not, again, we're not talking about if my arms move. Do I have the real metaphysical possibility to choose other than that thing that god knew you yes. with, with you can't move the goalpost. you can't say well god would have known otherwise because that's just moving the goalpost. that's just changing why, the, why the, is the, that moving the goalpost? because that's like saying okay um uh we're, we've we set this initial condition for this thought experiment right you get to a certain point in the thought experiment we don't like it anymore you say okay but but then but then the original conditions those would have been different well, now you're just so, kind of in an ad hoc manner. You're changing the agreed upon initial conditions of the thought experiment. It's just entirely ad hoc. It's it's just, you're just moving the goalpost of what we've already, of what we already agreed upon.
2: Okay. So I, I think I, maybe this would help, maybe it won't, but what I would say is this. The contradiction is if you actually do other than what God knows that you would do, right? So if God no. no even if it's possible, remember, if if huh? if it's possible for me to
1: do X, that's just synthetically identical with it's possible for God's knowledge to be wrong. I could I could push further and say if it's possible that God's me- could be wrong, that's just is categorically something God wouldn't know because he'd be wrong about it. And so now you actually get to this: God can't actually know that he knows. You start getting into all these types of. I'm just gonna. I'm just gonna
0: cut it. in if 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 uh, Dan could just finish his yeah. his pushback there
2: yeah so again I, I would i would just say look if you actually do something different than god knew there's a contradiction there but if you just can i don't see I, there's no contradiction and ultimately what i'm saying the at the base level is there's a difference between the word can and the word will and you know i i'm unfortunately in this argument i think they're getting uh, hmm. well i, I don't want to accuse tyler of anything but I, honestly i'm saying you can do something that you will not do. That's it. All right, so, I'm going to stop that folly for a moment just so that we can get to more questions. But that's yeah. Yeah. That, that was a good well,
1: example. Yeah. Just to be clear, so God can be wrong. Yeah. He just won't
2: be wrong. Uh, no, no. So the, you get to the, you, so I, I would I'd say it's incompossible that you will do otherwise, but it's possible that you can do otherwise. But the combination is impossible the common it's the combination that's impossible no. okay um in, in essence what i'm saying is you're committing a division fallacy it'd be interesting maybe in some other time some other that time was my now, favorite response could, so far to bottom this thing out
0: <laughs> dan listen you're committing a vision fallacy Mm-mm. <laughs> 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 All right, let's let's move on. Uh, that was an excellent exchange there. I hope folks are are enjoying. We still have a pretty decent crowd here. Uh, give a thumbs up, thumbs up to this video if you're really finding these uh, sorts of discussions uh, helpful. I think both of these gentlemen are doing an excellent job, and I highly encourage you to go back to their respective YouTube channels to check out um, you know the other portions of this debate. Um, I'd like to say thank you to uh, Sparks Links for your one dollar and ninety nine cents super chat. Thank you so much for that. I appreciate it. Our next uh, question or it's kind of a statement that perhaps both you guys can kind of interact with. Lawrence Stanley says Ephesians 1:11 and Romans 11:36 God indeed determines everything. There are no exceptions to all things. So, let's tackle just Ephesians chapter 1 verse 11 which uh, states, in him we've obtained an inheritance having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works, I'll have to say it like a very zealous Calvinist, for him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. All means all. Uh, That's an interesting kind of phrase there. Uh, We won't get into that. but um, So it seems like um, God works all things after the counsel of his will. So he has a counsel that is an extension of what he wills. And it encompasses all things. And so this person is suggesting that that is pointing to a a kind of determinism, which seems to be a contradiction to what, uh, Dan, the the form of argumentation that you're taking uh, here. What would you say to that?
2: well, where's the word determined, right? You know, so of course God works all things according to that counsel as well. I think he's got a plan for everything, but uh, I just don't see the word determined or this concept of sufficient causation or the, the sorts of things that would be necessary to, to bridge from the language of Paul to um, determinism. Okay, thank you for that. Tyler, you have any thoughts on that?
1: Uh, yeah, I mean, I would just say that, that you know, Roman, or, sorry, Ephesians uh, 111 um, in the context of all the predestination that language that comes before it, uh, I think this actually is coming, you know, uh, th- this is a, this is a determining, uh, language when you, when you conjoin it with Romans eleven thirty six and Hebrews one, three and, and, uh, and, and other passages, um, it just, it just seems obvious that it's, you know, the, 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 the Romans 11, you know, from him and through him and to him are all things, right? So from him are all things, that, you know, that, 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 there, that just is a is is some type of causal relationship. So I, we we could we could you know we could split hairs. I, you know I I think that there are there are exegetical reasons why Dan wouldn't read it that way. Um, it's why these are the verses that I that I didn't I, I think that are compelling, uh, but I but I didn't use them in my opening because I don't think that they uh, that they strongly disprove anything like libertarian incompatibilism.
2: So I mean I would just simply respond. So from him is creation language, um, through him sounds like concurrence. And then to him is the goal, the ends, the end state, the ultimate plan that God has.
0: Okay. Thank you for that. Uh, this next question is quite concerning. Uh, I hope baptized by Jesus is not suggesting anything, but baptized by Jesus asked, is it possible for a born again Christian to murder with no remorse? I hope that's not the case, baptized by Jesus. Hopefully you didn't murder anyone. And hopefully you're, you, if you did, you feel remorse. But um, how would you guys tackle that question?
2: Yeah. Um, I mean, I think of the example of David and Uriah, but uh, I, yeah, there's the, especially the, the without remorse part, that really is troubling. It does seem inconsistent with saving faith, but at the same time, um you know there's forgiveness for everything and uh you know david poured out his home uh, heart in psalms 51 so if anyone is in that situation just turn to christ and the cross but uh you know that's a difficult question um so uh, i'll leave it at that
0: okay uh thank you for that um Just to encourage you guys, Martin Luther, uh, not the one from the Reformation, but Martin Luther uh, says, thanks for the very civil discussion, such a breath of fresh air. It's so enjoyable to listen to. Praise God for the both of them. I would agree. Isn't it so much nicer to have these sorts of discussions where people aren't uh, breathing fire down each other's uh, throats, where— You could actually learn more without having to kind of uh, push away the unnecessary debris of emotions. I think you guys have been doing an excellent job going back and forth. So I want to thank you for that. And uh, thank you for those words of encouragement, Martin. Uh, Let's see here. Uh, My car. Love the new background. Thank you very much. Tried to spice things up a little bit. Um, Okay. So uh, Cranman. Uh, I think that's John Cranman. Thank you for the $4.99 super chat. Tyler, can you offer a compatibilistic reading of 1 Corinthians chapter chapter 10, verse 13 that makes sense of the promise God offers us?
1: Yeah, so...
0: And what, before you answer, let me read 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13, because that was actually one of the questions I was going to insert of my own, because I knew it would come up. Um, as a matter of fact, through my... Pentecostal spiritual giftings, I knew John Cramnon would ask this question. I'm just kidding. Um, so 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13 uh, says, no temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful, and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. And that is from the ESV. I'm not sure if that matters, but that's the translation I was reading from.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I, I mean, just really, really, Really briefly, um, without without going too far in it, I just don't see anything that's that's incompatibilistic in here. Um, It 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 just is that there that there are a range of options, right? Compatibilists don't deny that. Um, And what what I find interesting is that if you read this in an incompatibilist way, and you and you kind of force that onto here, and you and you because you. It almost wants to look at certain clauses super literally and not other clauses, right? So notice, so this is the NSB. No temptation is overtaking you except something common to mankind. And God is faithful. So he will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you're able. Right? Notice this, if, if we want to take that literal it's a, it's not, it's not saying, Hey, there's these options. You should like choose good. Otherwise you're going to, it's saying it's a promise. God's not going to let you be tempted beyond what you're able ever. Right. And what's also interesting is it says, uh, but with the temptation will provide a way of escape also. Well, if libertarian freedom is true, why does God need to provide a way of escape? Isn't there all red? If I have libertarian freedom, can't I just don't I always have the ability to, to do and not do and, and have that, have that, that, that contra-causal choice? The, and then the other thing, just very, very quickly, um, Steve Hayes has a, uh, written a long article on this. Paul Monata wrote a brilliant article on this that basically shows that even under libertarian uh, philosophers, right, uh, Dan had mentioned will-setting as an example, right? If, if will-setting is the case then it actually seems to be the case that even on libertarianism there isn't always you, you you don't always have the ability to to choose otherwise right because because you could have done certain things to set your will such that you can't do otherwise and yet you're still responsible even if there are these ways of escape and so so even if you hold a uh, even if you hold, kind of hold libertarian feet to the fire on this it doesn't work out that way I'll flat out say that there are some passages that just don't lend themselves. And I don't mean this as a cop out because this is just true for all positions. I don't think compatible should look to this first. I don't think incompatible should look to this first. I think there are some passages that are just meant to be pastoral, and they're 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 not trying to do philosophical heavy lifting. This is just one of those passages. I I think that if you're trying to you know milk this fruit for any type of philosophical juice you're just doing violence to the text
0: milk this fruit to <laughs> <For> make philosophical <laughs> juice <laughs> that's an interesting fruit it's got some milk and juice at the same time that seems to be a contradiction no i'm just kidding uh did you want to did you want to uh did you have any thoughts on that dan
2: sure so um I guess the, I think the passage is fairly straightforwardly read in a libertarian way. But I obviously, I think that so here's the thing. So when you're a baby or whatever, you know, you're a toddler, you're going to start thinking you have this ability to do this and the ability to do that. Now, let's say for the sake of argument, I don't know this case, but let's say Tyler came to the belief in determinism because of his exegesis of Acts 428. Right. That was long after he was a toddler um, coming around. Right. And I think that's the case normally, normally. Um, the belief in determinism is going to come later in life, you know, and so the question is really, can you integrate determinism with your previous beliefs, or do you have to modify them? And I think Calvinists ride the fence on these things, right? Unfortunately. So, you know, I think frankly, Tyler gave a libertarian reading of the text initially, but if I pushed him on it, he would say, oh, you could, if you wanted to, it's a conditional sense or that sort of thing. Now, try to read that into the text. That's where the problems start uh, start, start to, to surface once, once you analyze what exactly is this conditional sense and is that what Paul meant here? But if you just take the straightforward reading, you know, I would say that it, it is something that is strongly resistant to the belief in determinism. Um, and the the plain sense, seems to indicate that every time a Christian sins, God enabled them to do otherwise. Um, and then as far as um, Paul Minata, you know, I wrote a 30-page article on this. I responded to Paul's uh, Will Sutton argument, but to be honest, it was like 15 years ago. So I don't even remember what I said. But uh, I'd, I'd have to look look back at uh, at his will uh, will set an argument. But I think it's it's something to do with like, well, you know, does God enable you to revisit some higher level commitments or that sort of thing? Hmm. Yeah,
1: I, I think uh, I would just push back and say, uh, you know, I, anyone can, can anyone can make the claim that it's just the plain reading, right? So so, and I'm not and I'm not trying to be cheeky, but but
2: I'm fair. just
1: going to say I just don't think it is the plain. I. I I just don't, I don't read that because remember libertarian freedom is the, is the conjunction of incompatibilism, uh, and and that, and that we, and that we have, we make some free choices. Right. So take, so I I just take it that no one reads this and say, oh, well, I have the metaphysically real ability of contrariety and a principle of alternative possibility and metaphysical ability, like none of that's in here. Right. So there's a sense where I'm going to say, again, John Cranman's like, it's his question. He's freaking out give, give a reading. He's opting out for, rah, 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 like, he's shifting, fo- I'm not shifting focus. My answer is I'm, I don't think anyone should give an incompatibilist or a compatibilist reading of the passage. Cause I just don't think what that is what this passage is about. It's, it's like when people say, give a young earth or an old earth account of Genesis one. And I'm sitting over here as a temple tax guy and being like, I'm not going to do either. Cause I don't think that's what the text is about.
2: Yeah. So I'd say this text is a specific instance of libertarian freedom, not the principle in the abstract. But it does seem to be saying that, well, the, at least the, the strong implication is every time that I sin, God enabled me not to.
0: Yeah, we're going to move on from here. I mean, it's hard for yeah. me to not give my two cents. I'm trying to be as neutral as go, possible. Go for it. Go, Which go is for really hard because all. I'm a presuppositionalist and I <laughs> preach that neutrality is impossible. I'm no, just kidding. I don't no, what not, you to have to me, say. To be perfectly honest, I, 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 not, if I wasn't a Calvinist, I still wouldn't think that this is teaching one or the other so that John's question to offer a compatibilistic reading of this is unnecessary because I don't think it's trying to suggest what I believe in terms of my broader compatibilism, nor do I think it's enough to establish a libertarian reading. So if you take, for example, the different, the differences between categorical and conditional ability, um, the, the, um, the passage where it says here, let me read it here. No temptation has overtaken you. That is not common to man. God is faithful and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. It's just not telling us the nature of that ability because the text isn't talking about that. It may very well be if libertarianism is true. In my opinion, you just don't get it from that text necessarily. So that, and I think that's the reason why we need to be careful and you guys haven't committed this, but some people often do in these sorts of discussions, they just need to be careful with like the nature of proof texting. And trying to make a passage say more than it actually does. Um, So, if I was a libertarian, I wouldn't use that as a like, look, this is what the Bible's teaching. I probably would use it like, hey, I believe libertarianism here, and this verse seems to be consistent with it. If you understand my argument over here with some other passages and things like that, so I don't think it's enough uh, to be kind of like uh, an adequate proof text. That's just my opinion. Um, But okay, let's let's move along here. Yeah, well. Thank you. Um, let's see here. Um, let's see here. Do, 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 do. Oh, that's an odd. Okay. It's not a question, but it's a weird statement. Maybe I'm just going to, I'm going to post it anyway. It's a little strange, strangely worded, but I, I'm sure Dan would, would want to interact with it. Uh, Molinism is false because Jesus is the truth because Jesus is the truth. There cannot exist any truth if it is truth at all, that does not have its grounding in him. So this is an interesting way of formulating the grounding objection. Um, What would be your answer to the grounding objection? Uh, As a Molinist, this is something that pops up a lot. Of course, Dr. White has focused on it, um, regardless if one agrees, whether he's um, explained it and argued sufficiently, establishing that it's a problem. Um, I hear a lot of Molinists say that it's not a big deal, um, to be perfectly honest. I have not understood the Molinist response to it other than to say that, you know, if God is omniscient, omniscient, he has middle knowledge. And so it's grounded in his nature. It doesn't seem the best answer to me, but perhaps you have a different way of explaining that or unpacking that. What are your thoughts on the grounding objection, Dan?
2: So uh, there's a lot going on here. So there's a sense in which um lawrence is correct that jesus christ is the creator of all things and even hypothetically you know let's say god could have you know jesus could have created spider-man or something he didn't but he could have well still he would be the creator of spider-man so in that sense he's right but here's the issue so um i I hear if i think it's possible that you're right that perhaps lawrence has been misled by james white and um, James White in this debate with William Lane Craig made it out as if there's these existing things out there that ground mental knowledge, and they are uncreated by God. That's really bad, and that's not what Molinists believe, right? So the uh, what we think is that um, if those things existed, if if those things happened, then that would be the grounding so let me give you two contrastive examples from scripture so in i think it's in first kings eleven two. 2 it says um based on deuteronomy it says um that um you know if you intermarry you know uh foreign wives they will lead you into idolatry and then solomon intermarries uh, you know and they then he's actually led into idolatry so the grounding for that truth although it's true that god created Solomon. That God enabled Solomon to do what he did, Solomon's actual actions, his actual choices are what grounded the truth of that statement. Right? So and God knew that by his middle knowledge. So now there's the grounding right there. It's concrete. It's actually Solomon. That's the grounding. And that's true of everything that actually exists. So you have the grounding. Now the question is sometimes comes up: well, what about counterfactual, not just actual? So an example of that would be um let's take for example uh, Christ's statement in Matthew eleven twenty one 21 through 23 where um you know the people of Calais. Uh, I'm sorry no Can- I, 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 I switched yeah Can- yeah so I'm sorry um these people of uh, uh, Sodom and Gomorrah would have repented um in sackcloth and ashes if the same works were done so if Christ had gone to Sodom and Gomorrah they would have repented okay well that didn't happen so that's not concrete so where is the grounding? And the grounding in that case does not exist, but it would exist if that had happened. That's the only grounding that we can offer. It's not something that actually exists out there that God didn't create. And that's James White's, uh, unfortunately, I would call it a straw man of, of Mormonism. We're not saying that there's something that exists that God didn't create. What we're saying is that if that happened, if Christ had gone to Sodom and Gomorrah, they would have repented, and there, in that hypothetical scenario, it would be the actual grounding. Okay. Uh, did you want to add to
0: any anything to that, Tyler, or just by way? Yeah. Of- so, so
1: th- this is where I think that um, Molinism always just I, reminds me of like one of those Rube Goldberg machines where like you kick a ball and it, like all these like complex things goes around. Where I can just look at it and say, well, well, God's the ground because God, God can know had I decreed that to happen, that's what would have happened. I, I don't need all the, I don't need, I, I just, I don't need all the machinery of, of Molinism uh, to get, to get that. Um, so. Okay.
0: All right. Thank you for that. Uh, consistent Calvinism uh, asks, uh, can God take an action, which results in you doing what you want to do, but it's also what God wants you to do. If so, do you then admit God can determine everything about your free choices?
2: So yes to the first question and no to the second, because it depends on whether God knows what you would do or he determines what you would do. And if he determines it, then it's not free. So that's the contradiction of, you know, this um, so is the second question basically is, is, is self-contradictory. Okay.
1: Yeah, this is, this is where I would, where I would push back, because I, I mean, I would look at some passages, like the, the one that I commonly bring up is 2 Thessalonians 2, uh, 11 through 12, right? And, and this this is an example, again, of, of God, not it's not just compatibilism, it's not just determinism, it's actually God determining and causing sin. Um, so 2 Thessalonians 2, 11 through 12 reads, uh, for this reason, God will send upon them uh, a deluding influence so that they will believe what is false. All right, so so God is causally bringing about this 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 thing with the outcome, the guaranteed outcome. this is this is God's desired outcome, this is his intended outcome. this is what will happen, that they will that they will believe what is false. Why does he do it? and the text tells us in order that they all may be judged who did not believe the truth, all right. So not only is God causing them, causing this, he's sending this thing. He is the one, causally acting and determining that this is going to be the outcome that they don't believe the purpose is so that he can judge them for that thing but he also gives the condition on the backside. side why why are they being judged is it because god determined them to do it no he tells us but they took pleasure in wickedness right so so you you in in that one statement you have god is causally determining he's intending this outcome it's an evil outcome it's sent so that whole like well, well, does God determine the, you know the sin that you take because that would make God evil? Like those objections don't work because we have all kinds of biblical examples where God does this. God causes, brings about them to do something evil so that He can judge them, and it's because they love evil. It's because they love their wickedness, right? So, so you just you just have all of those all the things in, in conjunction in one verse. That just that that just is combatalism. That just you know that that there's no libertarian freedom in there at all.
0: Okay, Uh, John Cranman uh, strikes again with a super chat. Thank you so much, Uh, Tyler. If compatibilism is no less deterministic than hard determinism, then what is the distinction with the difference? In essence, what's the difference between soft determinism and hard determinism?
1: Yeah, so that's like asking if a stroke and a homicide are both equally fatal, then how are they how are they different? (laughs) Um, Because means matter. Um, the, 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 I'm sorry, but the, the, this is, this is just, Be even, nice. if you don't, even if you don't believe <laughs> determinism <and> <laughs> is true, this is just like, this is just very, very simple things in the literature. So the, 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 the reason why, so the difference between compatibilism and hard determinism is not that they're both determined. The difference is hard determinism is actually deterministic incompatibilism. So yes. the difference just is, compatibilism is that determination and freedom is compa- that are compatible sufficient for responsibility, whereas hard determinism is that determinism is true such that you are not responsible for your actions in a morally way. You are you maybe you're responsible simply because God says that you are, but it's not actually this type of this type of um, the type of responsibility and the control condition that we're talking about in the literature. Maybe there's some other reason why God holds you to to accountability. But it's not this type of, uh, you know, uh, freedom preserving responsibility.
0: And I think also just to add, um, and even if you think soft determinism is not sufficient, doesn't demonstrate the compatibility, that's irrelevant as to knowing the difference between the two types. So you need to know the claims of both. So whether you disagree with soft determinism and hard determinism together, you say, I don't see a difference. Well, definitionally. There is a stipulated difference whether you agree with it or not. So
1: right can't and, think and the if same you thing. and if you want to say there's no difference because neither of them are uh, are, are are free will preserving because one just denies free will flat out hard because it's incompatibilism it's it, it's it's libertarian incompatibilism says they're incompatibilism but you're free hard determinism says they're incompatible but you're not free right it, they're they're two sides of the same coin compatibilism says they are they are compatible now you may want to argue that determined that, that compatibilism entails that you're not free that, that that there's something about the relationship such that incompatibilism is true but you can't say that definitionally they just are the same thing and you can't you, you'd have to give uh, what's called an independent reason right you can't just say well if compatibilism is true then it's deterministic therefore you're not free because all that does is saying, if I assume incompatibilism, if I assume that something is determined, then it's not free, then therefore compatibilism is false, right? Well, that's not going to be convincing to a, to a compatibilist because all you've done is beg the question of incompatibilism. You need to give an internal critique or an independent reason why we ought to think that that that, that incompatibility lies even within the confines of, of compatibilism that's just how internal critiques work
0: all right uh dan did you have any thoughts on that uh do you agree disagree do you agree on the surface but then in your heart you think yeah but i don't think compatibilism is actually compatible
2: <laughs> yeah you guys just need to repent of your heart to determine no um uh, <laughs> no, uh, so i guess i'd say yeah sure you, if you read villain you know who's a compatibilist it's going to be very different than i guess paraboom or something like that who's a hard determinist and you, you just you know just reading a few chapters you're going to pick up on that that, that sort of thing you know um so it maybe uh, sam harris would be another um you know, hard determinist, and yeah, there's a there's going to be a difference across <clears throat> the page. Now, are there certain certain questions in which it probably doesn't make that much difference? Sure, I don't. I'm not so sure. It, it uh, let's say, for example, in the question of theodicy, or you know, God commanding the impossible, or that sort of the question. Yeah, you know, when it comes down to um, the author of, of sin question or things like that, I. it it probably doesn't make a difference because determinism is determinism is determinism.
0: Okay. I'm just going to now just modify things. I know that when I ask a question, I usually give both sides to respond, but just for the sake of time, and we want to get to as many questions as we possibly can, I'm just going to ask the questions and whoever wants to answer it, just answers it. And then we'll, we'll move on. Okay. All right. So, um, uh, Jet Morgan Bork asks, if we have libertarian free will with regards to evil and good as believers, how is a state of sinless perfection not possible unless it is a possibility in your framework? Uh, I suppose that's a question for Dan.
2: Mm. <laughs> yeah, that's a good question. Uh, I'm not sure that <sighs> Wow. That's a that's a really tough question. I think I like the way Aquinas answered it in that in each individual action, you can do the right thing. But when you look at the collection of all of them, it becomes impossible. But, you know, I'm not 100 percent sure I've got a clean cut answer on that. It makes it sound as if theoretically it's possible to be sinlessly perfect and you know, I don't. I don't think that's the the, the right e- answer either. I don't think that's necessarily the case. So, to be honest, uh, Jeff, you've got a really good question. Um, I suspect Aquinas is in the right neighborhood, but I haven't nailed that one down yet.
0: I think that's one of the key questions that Guillaume Bignon asks as well. Um, at least something along those lines. So, it is definitely well, a question that is in the literature I, as a as an
1: objection. I could help Dan. I could probably help you because Please. I because I actually don't I'll think it. that. I don't think this is actually a strong objection for a historic Arminian, right? Because you hold to total depravity, right? So it, it just seems it seems to me that you could say, okay, well, prior to the fall, sinless perfectionism was possible. But given the fall, right? Because you, you've already said that that libertarianism, you, you can have, you know, kind of this this ability of contriety, but all the options are bad. Um, and so so sinless perfection is is it, it's still impossible because even though I could choose between a range of options, none of them are good options. They're all going to be tainted with sin. So I, I don't have the ability of contradiction, right? So th- this is this this is where this is Guillaume's question, though. Is <clears throat> Guillaume comes back and says, "Okay," and, and I think this is Edward's question that Guillaume is, is regurgitating or, or fine tuning, which is, "Yeah, but there's a single command to be holy as your father is holy." Um. And you don't seem to have the ability to keep that one. Uh, and and so, it, it, so so I think he's going to say, I think the out for the sinless perfection is, well, you're a historic Armenian. You agree with total depravity, <laughs> but uh, but I'm st- I don't think that resolves Guillaume's question.
2: Yeah, so, and I apologize. I know you're moving faster time, but so that would apply more to unbelievers in a pre-regenerate state. And I would just say, yeah, you cannot uh, obey the God's law, um, especially not without God's grace.
0: Okay. Uh, Let's continue on. Big Yehuda asks a question for both of you. Uh, Just real quick, if you can do it as succinctly as possible. If God's foreknowledge precedes our existence and God's foreknowledge can't be contradicted, how can libertarian free will exist? I guess that's for Dan.
2: Um, I'd probably be repeating. uh, I'm an alchemist. So, you know, it's, we can do differently than God foreknows. And if we did, the past would have been different and God would have known
0: what we were, what we were going to do. Okay. Letitia asks, uh, does God have libertarian free will? I think I asked that earlier. Uh, And if you say yes, how is it that the scripture says God cannot do evil? It doesn't say uh, will not, but rather says cannot by the way, Eli love your analytical skills. Well, thank you. (laughs) Appreciate it. The little skills that I have, uh, but I appreciate it. Um, Anyone want to tackle that question?
1: I, I already kind of answered it, and I, I think both of us kind of already answered it. But I, but I will actually say this: this is where I think we can ramp it up a little bit too. Um, it's not only that God cannot evil. Um, that, this is this is actually an example of why I find the true love argument not convincing, right? Well, you have to have libertarian freedom, you have to have the ability to do otherwise in order for true love to exist. And I'm going to say, well, no, the fa- the father does not have the ability to not love the son. Um, so, and and that's true love you do not, you do not have to have the ability to do otherwise for true love to exist. And we see that in God. Okay.
2: Dan? Yeah. So I do think God has libertarian freedom. I think it's right there in Genesis 1, 1, and also passages where he has alternative possibilities, like in Exodus uh, 9, 15, where he says that um, he could have destroyed Egypt already if he had wanted to. Um, So I guess, um, so I, I would say yes to that first question. And then, God can choose between good options, but He can't choose evil options. And I will table the discussion on love. But I think, actually, I think I'll just probably say that you're on to something, Tyler. I think there's a little nuance that we could add to it. Um, but I think, I think you're on the right track. Okay. Uh, Jacob Glass
0: asks, if, in a libertarian view, if God knows that a person would never choose Him, why would He need to harden them? Anybody? That's up for anybody who wants to take it.
2: So in my view, the, the hardening takes place by a subtraction of grace rather than God positively inspiring evil into the person or something like that. So it's it's the exception that proves the rule, right? So there is prevenient grace, and God um, removes that to accomplish a specific purpose at a specific time.
0: Okay. Uh, another one from Jacob. Uh, if a scientist knew if he released a virus, it would kill millions, wouldn't he be in some way responsible for it? Isn't this militiamen view. That's what it says. God knew and still chose to create anyways.
2: It's up for anybody.
1: Maybe he means the Molinist view.
2: Perhaps. Yeah, it could be. Um, so I guess then I'll, I'll I'll take it. So yeah, so Molinism isn't a get out of jail free card. Yeah, so if God is using middle knowledge or Molinism in in the, um inappropriate way, yeah, then um, yeah, so 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 that's true. I think the bullet bill analogy that um, was a Greg Weddy uh, puts out shows that point nicely. Um, so I'd go back to the uh, the party analogy, the party, and then there's a mess going to be made. Then you have a robot that's going to clean it up. The reason to, to have the party isn't because of the mess, right? That's not the reason you throw the party, but you have a solution for it.
1: Okay. If I, if I could add, uh, these types of questions, I'm just finding myself increasingly... Uh, I, I I just increasingly dislike questions like this um, because I think all too often they basically, they basically like, Hey, if God was a moral human like us, um, and I just, and I just think that the, the, the creator creature distinction is lost um, because there are all kinds of things that God does in the Bible that if we did them, we would be, we'd be terrible if we did them. I mean, just think of what, what, think of the book of Job, and replace yourself with God and Job with your kid and Satan with a, with a serial killer, you're a, you're a wicked person. Um, (laughs) and, and yet none of us, none of us blame God for what he did. He even takes credit in Job 42 that he brought all the evils upon Job. Um, so I, I, I just increasingly am am finding that the, the, the issue with these questions isn't so much, well, God is going to be evil or not. The issue is, well, God's holy no matter what he does. Um, and, and he's, he's, he's not, he's not a creature um that 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 he should act like us
0: so okay thank you uh consistent calvinist uh, calvinism says uh, why would god provide a way of escape for someone he infallibly knows will not take that way isn't god establishing their responsibility by providing the way he knows they won't take
2: um i mean i, th- I think uh it's so that they're responsible and that they're able to do otherwise so it's kind of baked in. If you take that out, then there goes the ability to do otherwise and, and responsibility in that case. Hmm.
0: All right. Thank you. Uh, Richie, thank you so much for your 1999 oh, wow. uh, super chat, declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times, things which have not been done saying my plan will be established and I will accomplish all my good pleasure. Isaiah 46, 10, I suppose that's, uh, Supporting from his perspective, uh, kind of a a Calvinistic understanding. Um, But again, he just quoted the passage. Does anyone want to comment on the passage? Uh, Perhaps, uh, Dan, um, you'll probably disagree with the heart of the heart behind quoting this passage, because I know you believe this passage, but don't understand it the way that perhaps the
2: Calvinist would. (laughs) Yeah, sure. So this is, I think, in the context of the, especially the Cyrus prophecy and, um, you know, absolutely God um, planned that out and accomplished his plan. Uh, 100% don't disagree with that. Where What I don't see in this passage is that God has a sufficient cause, you know, there's sufficient cause for everything that we do. Everything is determined, you know, that that kind of language just isn't there. But God definitely gets his way. He wins. Okay.
0: All right. Thank you for that. Now, um, that is all. There are some, a couple of questions, but I have to go back and find them and I think we've gone almost two hours. So this has been an epic, uh, Q and a session. I hope that I I was thinking I was going to be spearheading the question, but there are so many questions here that everyone made my job easier. So thank you so much. Uh, but folks, I hope you guys have enjoyed this discussion. Um, I have one more question that I'm going to conclude with. Um, but um, if you guys really want to get the context for kind of their broader argumentation, go to their channels. Tyler, if you can share your channel one more time and uh, point to folks where they can find your um, presentation in the debate, and then Dan can do the same um, right after you.
1: Uh, yeah, so it's uh, the, the Freed Thinker on YouTube. That's where the, the, the debate, where the, op- the opening and, and my portion of the cross X was. Okay, and what about you, Dan?
2: So I have a joint channel with Turret and Fan. The channel name is uh, Turret and Fan, and we have a, a subtopic called Conversations in Calvinism. Sometimes we'll disagree on Calvinism. Sometimes we'll agree. We debate um, Catholic apologists from time to time or open theists and that sort of thing. But we, um, but yeah, it's just called Turret and Fan, and the, the program is called Conversations in Calvinism. Hmm.
0: All right, very good. Thank you so much. Um, now, my last question is for both of you, and I want you to think really hard about this one. Uh, cause I know that it's easy to just be like, well, I don't know. I can't think of anything. Tyler, in your opinion, what is the best argument or evidence for, um, uh, for libertarian free will? And then I'm going to ask the opposite for Dan.
1: Um, yeah, I mean, I, I think that there's a, there's a couple different ones. Um, but I think the consequence argument that comes up, um, is, is a strong argument Um, that 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 really is kind of like the gold standard in the literature. That's going to be what I think one of the only good arguments uh, in literature for for incompatibilism, but it's a strong one. Um, The other one, and I don't mean this too, too cheeky. um, I think that there there's a there. There's an intuitive play that can be made. Um, I don't necessarily think that's a bad thing to happen, but I think it it um it plays to the their own side right so if you already kind of have this intuition that you have libertarian freedom then the arguments about you know well well don't don't you just you know the, you have this intuition that you 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 choose otherwise um is going to be very very strong um to people that already share that intuition i think that's going to have a very strong um, kind of compelling force to it
0: Okay. And Dan, uh, what do you think is the strongest argument for uh, a, uh, a Calvinistic, compatibilistic uh, understanding of determinism?
2: So uh, this is Daniel eleven thirty six. 36. Um, the king shall do as he wills. So the king is doing what he, he wills. So it's a, it's a volition. He shall exalt himself and uh, magnify himself above every God and shall speak astonishing things against the God of gods. He shall prosper till the indignation is accomplished for what is decreed shall be done. Hmm. Okay, I'm not saying that there's not explanations for it, but I think it's, uh, it's one that requires a lot of attention. Sure. Excellent.
0: Well, uh, there's one one question here, just for so people are curious. Is one uh, Keith is asking Eli? Are those Van Til books on your shelf? They most definitely are. Uh, <laughs> of course, I'm the free- Look, I told you, I have a Bonson coffee mug. I'm the presuppositionalist guy. Of course, I'm going to have some Vantel in the back. What's wrong with you? Uh, No, I'm just kidding around. Uh, Dan and Tyler, you guys did an excellent job, and I know folks are going to go back and watch this uh, in in kind of more closely. There's a lot of ground that you guys covered. But again, folks, I strongly encourage you to check out their YouTube channels for – uh, those other segments of the debate it's better if you watch it all together but of course uh, this discussion has been uh super uh fun and exciting both you guys are very intelligent and know your stuff and i'm sure folks who have been listening have been uh, greatly benefited by by giving their time here and joining us uh, are there any last words you'd like to say before we close off this live stream either of you
2: thank you yeah. thank you so i think both, both of you
0: Well, I hope I did an okay job moderating this informal discussion. And I hope uh, you guys uh, felt like I treated you guys fairly and um, I had fun doing it. Thank you for having me. All right. Well, that is it for this live stream, folks. Thank you so much for listening. If you like the content, please share, uh, give the thumbs up, the little heart uh, hearts make me feel nice. I feel nice inside when I see someone loves a video um, and, and hopefully, um, just ultimately, I hope you guys are really finding the content useful. So that's it for this live stream, guys. Take care and God bless. Till next time. Bye-bye.